theyeshiva.net. Good morning to everybody. Good morning to everybody joining us virtually, wherever you are. Thank you. We're thrilled to have you, and thank you for being here with us today. And we are ready to move on. As usual, you could uh, text your questions to 845-777-4747. We are up to page Kuf Ayin Gimel. Kuf Ayin Gimel. I want to thank very much the Bruchem, Bruchem Fried, as every morning for uh, dutifully arranging all of this and making it happen. Thank you, thank you very much, Abnuchem. And we appreciate it very much. Um, so we're up to page Kuf, Ayin Gimel, I think closer to the top. I mean closer to the bottom. Fifteen lines, literally fifteen lines from the bottom. The line starts Ba'atzmoy. You see, Ba'atzmoy, Shenemar Kel Hashem, Vayo Erlonu Ba'atzmoy. We learned yesterday the famous story that the Chazal tell us about a person who was walking in the dark and he kept on putting on a candle and the candle kept on being extinguished again and again and again until finally the frustrated person says, how long am I going to work so hard to reignite the candle which only gets extinguished? Let me wait till the sun comes out and I will follow the light of the sun. And that's a metaphor for Jewish history. The Jewish people were enslaved and liberated and enslaved and liberated and enslaved and emancipated and back enslaved. And each time it was a candle that brought the light. At some point, the Jewish people say, how long are we going to be in this cycle of redemption and enslavement? Let's wait until the day shines, until the sun comes out, till dawn breaks and sun rises. And instead of being liberated through candles, let's be liberated through the sun. Instead of just having a liberation through people, let's be liberated through God himself. And he explained that, he explained that historically what that means and individually what that means. In a person's life, there is liberation which is followed by subjugation. And then there is liberation in which you could step into the day. Very different experience. In other words, where you could say, I'm the sun, I'm part of the sun, I'm part of the light. There is the light of the candle and then it gets extinguished. And there's a drama in that, there's tension, there's excitement in that. But then there comes the point individually where a person has to be able to say, oh, I am wholesome and I am part of wholesomeness. Not in an arrogant way, in a very profound, humble way. I'm part of the infinite light. No, I'm not traumatized. No, yes, there's trauma in me. Of course, nobody's perfect. There may be challenges in me. But the I steps in to a new day in which the sun is shining. And that form of wholesomeness is a completely different form of wholesomeness because nobody is extinguishing the sun. That was the main point. And he continues. Why is the metaphor with candles? The hine nedis hu inyan hamidis. 
The candles represent the Midas, emotions. It's explained that the seven candles, the seven lamps of the Menorah in the Mishka, the Beis why did the Menorah have seven branches? The answer is because Aaron had to ignite each one of the seven Midas. You see, the Jewish people are divided into the seven branches of the Menorah. We're all a Menorah. Everyone is a Menorah. But there are souls which are more associated with the attribute of chesed. And there are souls more associated with the attribute of gevura and tiferes, netzach, malchus. Although we all comprise seven, but different souls have a proclivity or they accentuate more one midah over another. And that's why Aaron or the Koyan every morning or every evening, every evening, and according to some, every morning as well. That's an argument between Rashi and the Rambam. But every evening would light the Menorah. He wasn't just lighting a physical Menorah. He was empowering every one of the seven types of souls to be able to kindle their own light and manifest the divine light in this world. Because what can happen often in life is, I'm a Menorah. But a Menorah, if you don't ignite it, you have a candelabra, you have oil, and you have a wick. But there's no light, there's no flame. So it has to be ignited. The potential for light is there, but not the light itself. So Aaron and the Kayan every evening empowered every single person in the lighting of the Menorah to be able to light their own fire, their own flame, to be able to radiate their own brightness in our world. So that's the seven branches of the Menorah connect to the seven Midas. But Shabazesh Shayich but there can be an interruption. As we kept on learning before, there's the Evet Knayni, there's the Evet Ivri, I'm inspired, I'm uninspired, I feel, I don't feel, I'm excited, I'm not excited, I'm enthusiastic, I'm depressed, I am, I'm, in, I'm engaged, I'm disengaged. There's room for interruption. And then there is not the light of the candle which represents the Midas, but then as the Medrash puts it, the Eir Hashemish, which is the Eir Havaya, ain't lay hefsek. It's not interrupted. The Pasuk says in Malachi, the last prophet of the Jewish people, the last safe is Malachi. He says, I have not changed. In other words, there's no interruption. We say every morning in Davening, Chai la'ad v'kayim l'netzch. V'emes havaya lo'elam. Yirmiya Hanavi says, Emes havaya lo'elam. The truth of the divine is eternal. The havaya nikre emes. Havaya, Hashem is called emes. The emes who hepech mikazov. What's the definition of truth? That's not such an easy question to answer. So he says, one thing we know, it's the opposite of falsehood. <laughs> the definition of, of, of truth is that it's the opposite of falsehood. Kazov means lies, falsehood. What's the definition of falsehood? So usually we say the definition of falsehood is somebody says a lie. If somebody says something that's not true. Now that's obviously false. Fake news. But there's a deeper definition of falsehood. The cause of The Mishnah speaks about the type of water which we call in Chumash Mayim Chayim, living water. Usually when we have to go to the mikveh, not now, but generally when somebody has to go to the mikveh, you don't need mayim chaim. You don't need spring water. You need 
natural water, rainwater, for example. If they used to have cisterns and there would rain inside, it would rain and you would go in. That's a good mikvah. There are a few situations of zava, zava, you need mayim chayim. Mayim chayim means living water. Living water means it's alive now. What makes it alive now? It didn't, it's not rainwater from a year ago or a month ago or two years ago that's here in my cistern. No, it's alive now because it's a wellspring. It's, it's vibrating now. It's pulsating now. It's flowing right now under the earth. That's called a well, a maya, mayim chayim. For paraduma, for the, for the mixture of the ashes of the red heifer with water, which they used to sprinkle on every person who was impurified through a corpse, and he or she would become pure, or their vessels or their clothes or their utensils, whatever it needed to be purified, he needed mayim chayim, living water. So the medrash, the, the Mishnah says, which means literally the rivers which lie once in seven years. <laughs> what does it mean they lie? So the word mechazven here means they dry up. You have rivers that after seven years, seven years they're present, but then they dry up. So this is disqualified. Psulim lamechatos. They're disqualified to be used as the water which is known as the water of cleansing because it's mixed with the, with the ashes and sprinkled on somebody who's impure. And because of that, so the rivers, even though right now they're, they're here, they're flowing, nonetheless, they're called mechazven. Mechazven means they dry. The word kozov, though, like we have in Tehillim and Halal, ani amarti v'chavzi kol ha'adam koizev. You remember in Halal, David HaMelech says, in my haste I said, everyone is lying. Why is it called lying? Why are you giving this river the name lying? The answer is, he says, The sages here are intimating something very profound. And that is, something is real now. But in seven years, it's not going to be real. It means it's not a real source of water. Because if it would be a real source of water, then... It's unchangeable. Now, of course, we're talking about water, so we're talking about physical reality in a physical world where everything changes. But within the world of fluctuation itself, if the river flows for 50 years, we don't have a problem with it. But it's um, So everything is relative in what world you're talking about, ter- truth versus falsehood. In this world of physicality, even seven years is not, is not called emes. Anything that will not be there and present in every situation, it means it's circumstantial truth. It's not real truth. It's not, it's not real reality. Why? Because the circumstances are this way, and tomorrow everything changes. I probably need not give this metaphor or this illustration, because it's probably very obvious uh, to everybody. The, you, you know the illustration I'm about to give, right? The illustration I'm about to give is quite simple and obvious. <clears throat> what this uh, COVID-19 and coronavirus is doing, among all the other things it's doing, is I'm talking here from the introspective perspective, is people suddenly realized that so many institutions and habits that was so much part of life are not really life. They're chosen. They become part of life, but it's not life. And we didn't do it by choice. Everyone had Pesach plans. Everyone has workplaces. Everyone has school. 
But suddenly, this invisible creature, the size of 125 nanometers, the coronavirus, changed the planet. And suddenly, everybody's quarantined. And now you have to really ask yourself the biggest questions. And the biggest question is, what is life? And what are the things I do to enhance life? And do they enhance life or do they become a distraction of life? That is a very profound meditation about life. And there are situations that challenge you to go to that place because all the hype and all the attractions are gone. You know what it means? Millions and millions of Americans, there's no sports games, there's no movie theaters, there's no malls, there's no restaurants, no bars, no clubs, Lahavdil and other communities, no other places that they go to attract to places. Now, in, so what, 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 what is there? What is there? You have to go to things that are unchangeable, that the virus does not change. And that distinction is very, very powerful in life because now is a time of crisis. But can you take that with you post-crisis? May this, may, this, uh, may this disease and infection end very, very soon. And all those who need a refuah shleim, a refuah shleim, and the whole world should be cleansed. But can I take this consciousness with me to really ask, what is life and what is an accessory for life? So a lot of things are very powerful, but they're cause of, they're not real. How do I know they're not real? They don't last. When things change, a person's life changes, a person's health changes, the world situation changes, they can collapse as fast as they can. Even though when they're there, they're so powerful. So the Mishnah says that this river is called a false river. It's true also psychologically and emotionally. Sometimes you feel elated and inspired and enthusiastic. You're on your honeymoon and it's amazing, it's beautiful, it's exciting. But how true is it? How true is it? Is it just a high because of different external realities, which is great. But what might happen is a day, a week, a month, a year, it may fade away. The candle will be extinguished, which means even when it was here, how true was it? It was more circumstantial. I was in the right place, the right time. It hit me from this angle, from that angle. Enjoy it. But don't delude yourself that this is where it's at. Because real, real truth will never fade away. There's no circumstances that will cancel it. There's no time or space that will be empty of it. There's no situation where you won't need it. There's no situation where you say, get this out of my life, forget about it. And you come back to those core truths that don't dissipate. You guys understand what I'm saying? You think this is important? I don't get any feedbacks. I don't know. Yeah? I think this is very, very important. That's why now, now, we're, we're, we're in a war, but there's always opportunity. Every crisis is an opportunity. Yeah? I'm just going to share something, and uh, you'll do with it as you wish. I don't know if ever before, the Jewish people were chosen to be the lamplighters of the world. That's... That's what the Tanakh teaches. That's what we believe. Even though we're in a cocoon, but that's what we were chosen for. Whenever in history, 
did we have the attention of 7.7 billion people who have nothing to do, don't want to hear about sports, don't want to hear about impeachment, don't want to hear about the next elections, don't want to hear about politics, don't want to hear about the new movie or the new Oscars, nothing. All they want to hear is, what is life? What are we holding on to? What are our values? If the Jewish people are not going to rise to the occasion now, when are we going to rise to the occasion? If the Jewish people are not going to rise right now to the plate to impart the consciousness, the consciousness of truth to the entire world, when yeah, imloy So this is, I think, a uh, a job that is not just vital; it's historic and it's unprecedented with all the tragedy and the horrors that we're observing in terms of personal and familial and community tragedies, in terms of death and illness, which everybody knows on one one level or another, and it's affecting everybody. That, that, the mysteries of that, the mysteries of life are very present in our world today. There's no question about that. But look also at at the silence of the world. When did you have silence? And this is not... It's not New York, not America. It's every single person living on this planet. Every person from China to New Zealand to South Africa to Hawaii to South America to Russia to all of Europe and even Muncie. So this is, this is an incredible, incredible opportunity. I don't want to use the word inspiring to make light of all the tragedy but it's an incredible historic opportunity. What's the distinction? The distinction is what's true and what's not true. What remains forever and what dissipates when the chips fall away. What outlives all circumstantial fluctuations and what remains. In your life, ask yourself this question in your life. In your own life, what is this? Because we were all hanging on to constant attractions, even spiritual attractions. I'm not talking about the uh, materialistic ones, even spiritual ones, but they're still attractions. It's not necessarily true, even if the outer layer is true. But there is a flow, mavua is a flow, that never stops. Like a source of water, an outlet of water, where the water will not dry up. It will not lie. The water won't lie. What does it mean it won't lie? Water doesn't lie. Lying for water means it's here today and it's gone tomorrow. If you're gone tomorrow, it means today you're also not here. You're just here because of certain circumstances, but your presence is not a truth presence. Anything in life, that is not everything. It's not, what, what did somebody say about, uh, um, somebody once said, if God doesn't amount to everything, he amounts to nothing at all. If truth, if truth, if something is not in every situation, then it's in no situation. It's just a cover-up. It's not real MS. MS is something that permeates and pervades every place every time, every situation, 
and every reality. Real truth, real truth. We're talking about real emes. That's his definition. This is the deeper reason in halacha, a river which dries up once in 50 years is kosher. Why? Seven, not 50, yeah. The answer is we're, we're in a physical world. So everything in the physical world changes. Everything is subject to change. The question is, what's the nature of the change? Once in 50 years, it's kosher. Why? Yoival, the world of Yoival, the 50th year, is associated with Bina. The seven cycles of Shemitah are the seven middas, seven times, like 49 years, which are like the 49 days of Svira. And then the 50th year, Yoival, Jubilee, is Bina, which is already above the seven. You understand? You have 49 years, and then you have Yoival. In Parshish Bahar, Yoival is Bina. The Zawin, and what happens to Yoival? Freedom. Yoival, every slave goes out for free, freedom. The Yoivel, why? Because you're going from Midas to Meichen. In Midas, you're a victim of yourself. And therefore, it's going to stop. The candle will be extinguished. In Meichen, you're never a victim of yourself. You're never a victim of your bias. You have the capacity for truth, for transcendence. Back to what we kept on talking about. The Evid Knaini, the Evid Ivri, the Amma Ivriya. You're not anymore a victim to employ the meditation this morning of this is relevant. This is not relevant. <laughs> this is real. This is not real. Yeah. The screwdriver in the corner of my room is not real. You know why? Because I don't need it. Tomorrow, I'm going to be looking for a screwdriver. I'm going to go crazy. <laughs> you know when you can't find a screwdriver and the whole world collapses because you can't find your screwdriver. So that distinction, this is relevant, this is not relevant, this is meaningful, this is not meaningful, that's all what? It's giving the world a certain color that is a projection of my own identity. I hope you understood what I just said. If not, think about it. But in Meichen, there's a truth that is, you touch truth. That's the point. You touch truth. And because of that, it's Mavua, the Eloi Pasikla Almin So if the river, if the river flows for 50 years, then within a physical world, that river is kashalamechatas. Seven years not. Seven years represents middas all the way till 50. And then 50 is Yaival. And that's the candle that gets extinguished. The candles are middas. And the Jew says, I want the sunlight, which won't get extinguished. This also gives insight into a medrash. The medrash Rabbah says in Parshas Vayetze, Lavan Shtei Bonus. Lavan had two daughters. Sheim Hagdoyla Leah, Sheim Maktana Rachel. The name of the older daughter was Leah. The name of the younger daughter was Rachel. But it doesn't say older and younger. It says Gdoyla and Ktana. So the Medrash says, Gdoyla bimasnoi seha. Leah was larger in her loins. Masnayim are loins, right? Reuven, that's the word, loins. L-O-I-N-S, which is like the thighs. What does this mean? Leah was the mother of Levi. Levi was given the gift of priesthood forever. Aaron Akoyin comes from Levi. Aaron's father was Amram. Amram's father was Kahas. Kahas's father was Levi. And Levi's father was Leah. 
This is, says in Chumash, it's not my Chiddush. Kohuna is forever. Bris Kohunas Oilam, we say in Parshas Pinchas. Kohuna is forever. You probably remember the research a couple of years ago where they found a tiny little alternation in the Y chromosome of Koyanim. Incredible, incredible phenomena. And this is from Jews, completely different geographical locations. You had Jews from Ashkenazic background and Sephardi background, I think Yemenite backgrounds, and I think I read Ethiopian backgrounds. So an incredible idea that the kohuna lasts forever, the gift of kohuna, biologically and spiritually. Malchus based David Lo'ayla. Leah was the mother of Yehuda. Yehuda was the great-grandfather of David Amalek. The royalty of the house of David is eternal. Mashiach, one of his qualities, he has to come from David Amalek because the gift of royalty was given to Leah. Haktana, Rachel, Ktana b'masnisa. Rachel was smaller in her loins, meaning Malchus Shaul, Lefisha. Shaul ba'achas, v'loya osalei, David b'shtayim v'osalei. Rachel was the grandmother of King Saul. Shaul ha'melech came from Binyamin. Binyamin was the son of Rachel. Binyamin, Shaul's Malchus did not last forever. He was the first king, but the kingship was taken away and it was interrupted and it didn't pass on. David HaMelech is forever. So, G'dayla Leia. Leia is G'dayla. What do you mean G'dayla? G'dayla means G'dayla must they say. The progeny that comes from, the, from Leia's body is G'dayla has the element of godless, of greatness, of eternity. Rachel's progeny not. The Gemara says in Yuma, Shol Ba'achas V'loy Al-Salay. Shol did one sin and it caused him to lose his kingship. David did two. David did too, but also like, but his kingship remained. Shaul's one mistake was what? Shaul's mistake was that uh, he was told to wipe out Amalek, and he held back. We read it now in the Aftar of Parsha Zohar. David did more than one. There's the story of David and Bathsheba, the famous story, which for David was a, an error. It was the story of David counting the Jews. So you would think David would lose his malchus. David Bishtayim and it worked. The question is why? Why? God forgives. David was forgiven. Shaul was not forgiven. What's the difference? So we're going to we're going to see. This is all connected to this issue. Let me just see if there are questions, and then we'll go, uh, we'll move on. You can text your questions to 845 777 Forty-seven, forty-seven. Okay, Tayyid Eden. Like Mordechai told Esther, who knows, maybe just for this you were chosen. So too, maybe just for this opportunity now, the Jews were chosen. No atheists in the foxholes. The world is in a foxhole now. Current polls show people turning to prayer and Hashem as never before. Our lifelong avoid is buried selecting the good from the bad. The current crisis forces everyone to select the good and the truth from the rest. Very, very well said. Extremely well said. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. I'm in complete agreement with you. And my hope is that the Jewish people understand this and uh, really get into action. Because such opportunities are unprecedented. Another comment, 
If there's other comments, you could text them to 845-777-4747. So let's go further. Three lines from the bottom, page Kufay and Gimel. Rama Karni Veloy Rama Pachi. Rama Karni Veloy Rama Pachi. You have, there's a lot of references here that a person has to know. I'm just going to, somebody just sent in something I want to read as well. Reb Dr. Michael. Let us not, however, think that this means only that we are looking for, seeking things that are present in the world, in the world that specifically are everlasting and permanent. Emes, real mayonis, not temporary false rivers. Candies that will flicker out. It's not just about what truths we will seek in the world around us, choosing some thing that's more real and ultimately rejecting others as untruthful. It's also about what we will do and create in the world. Will we create in our daily avoida lives that are emes and have the power of real wellsprings or just lives of further kizuv and untruth? This is an imperative about what we will do. It's not just looking at what's present in the world that is true and false, but what type of lives we will create for ourselves. Thank you. Yes, thank you, thank you. So there is Leah and there's Rachel. G'dayla Leah and K'tana Rachel. There's David and Kaihuna, Levi and Yehuda, and there's Shaul, who comes from Rachel. Rama Karni Veloy Rama Pachi. What's Rama Karni Veloy Rama Pachi? Shaul shenimshech bepach loy amshech malchuse. David shenimshech bekenen amshech malchuse. The Gemara says in Mesechta Megillah, Daf Yudalit, we learned it a few weeks ago, before Purim, that, it's like a different lifetime, that there were seven women prophets. Jewish history, there were seven Jewish women who were prophets. Yet Sarah, Miriam, uh, Dvoira, Chana, Chulda, Avigail, and Esther. Asks the Gemara, how do you know? How do you know Sarah was a prophet? I know Mir- Miriam, it says, she was a prophet. Miriam Hanaviyah. But how do you know the others? So the Gemara goes through the Tanakh. Comes to Chana. The Gemara says, we know it from one word, one expression. After she gave birth to Shmuel, she says, Allah's libi Bashem, Rama Karni Bashem. Which means, my horn, Karen is a horn like a horn of an animal, as a keren, keren asher, like the horn of a, of a bull, it's called keren. My keren, my horn, is exalted through the divine. So the Gemara says, what does that mean? Why is she talking about a horn? So the Gemara says something fascinating, that Chaneh here was saying, giving a prophecy, there will be two types of Jewish kings. Every Jewish king was anointed with Shem and Hamish. Moshe Rabbeinu prepared a special uh, compound of oil with spices in Parshas Kisisa that was stored in the Beis Hamikdash for generations. It, later it was concealed through Yoshiyahu, the king. He didn't want it to fall into other hands and he realized there's going to be destruction. So he concealed this special oil together with the ark, with the luchos, together with the man, together with the stick of Aaron and the almonds, together with the Urim Vitumim, the famous Rambam and Hilchas Beis Abchira based on a Gemara in Yuma. Fine. When the king would be anointed, 
they would pour a little bit of this Shemana Mishcha on top of his head and on his face. So the Gemara says in Megillah that there were two types of kings. When Shaul was anointed, it says Shmuel took the oil and he poured it into a pach, into a jug, and he placed it on Shaul's head. By David HaMelech, it says that he poured the oil into a karen, into a horn, a horn like a bottle, which is like a horn, a horn they used for bottles. And he poured that on David. So Hannah was giving a prophecy. Ramakarni Basha. Only those who are anointed with the horn, their malchus will be exalted. It will be everlasting. Those who are anointed with the jug won't. That's what he says. His malchus is everlasting. That's why she said, Ramakarni, the Gemara says, Loi Ramapachi. Now, why is this? What's the difference if you're given the oil through a jug or you're given through a horn? So it's one of these Gemaras you read. You say, okay, fine. Why? So the Marsha gives a Balabatish a reason. Marsha says, Apach, how do they make jugs? Most jugs were made of what? Earthenware. They were clay. They fall down. They break. So it's not everlasting. It's very weak. It's frail. It's, it's an earthenware vessel. Very easy to break. A Karen is the horn of, a, of an animal is powerful. It's powerful. It's a different fabric. It's a different material. So when the king was anointed through a jug, it represented that there's something weak in this anointment, in this coronation. When the king was anointed with a horn, ooh, Ramakarni Bashan, not Ramapachi. And that was between Shoal and David. Shoal was Nimshach Bakach, and David was Nimshach Bakach. That's Balabatish. That's what the Marsha explains. Why would there be such a distinction? And why Chana said, Ramakarni, not Ramapachi. And from this, we know that Chana was a prophet. This Pasuk teaches us Chana was a prophet. She was foretelling two people, the story of two people, both who would be anointed, both would be anointed by her son Shmuel. Shmuel, the prophet, anointed Shaul Amelech, and later he anointed David Amelech. What's the deeper reason? Now we go to the deeper reason. When the Tanakh wants to describe the greatness of Shoal, it says, from his shoulder and up, he's taller than the rest of the nation. Which literally, from a physical, physique, perspective, you might say, when you look, you know, shoulder, what, the, the expression, the expression uh, in, in English, head and shoulders above the others. Where do you think it comes from? You know, head and shoulders comes from this passage. Literally, head and shoulders or shoulders and head, he's above everybody. In other words, Shoal had a tallness to him, a dignity to him, a grace, a greatness, physically, spiritually, emotionally, etc. Et but there's something deeper. Something deeper. Shechem, why do you say so, shoulder? Say his head. When you look at somebody's shoulder, you compare it to other people's shoulders, you can see that he's taller. But there's also other parts of the body, but primarily it's the head. When you look at people standing... So obviously their heads don't reach to the same point, and you see the difference in height. He mentions Shichmai, from his shoulder he's taller. Shechem zauinyan da'as shebein 
Shechem is the shoulder. It represents das, which is the stem of the brain that extends between the shoulders. The stem of the brain, which represents the connection of the brain and the central nervous system, the stem of the brain, the central nervous system, which ultimately will descend and go to the spine and branch out into the millions, billions of nerve cells, billions and billions of nerve cells in the whole body. That represents das shebein aksafan. We learned many times this chachma bin das. Chachma is conception. Bin is comprehension. Das is application. What does application mean? Application means don't just be brainy. Bring it down. You got to bring it down in between the shoulders. The Gemara says in Megillah that the Beis Hamikdash is called the neck, not the head, the neck. When Binyamin kissed, when Binyamin cried on Yosef's neck, and Yosef cried on Binyamin's neck, they were crying for the Beis Hamikdash. Why is the Beis Hamikdash called the neck, not the head? The answer is because that's the point of the Beis Hamikdash, not to keep the light in the brain. A brain without a body is a beheaded, dead brain. The brain must be connected to the rest of the body. That's what Das does. Das is Das Shabbenak Safai. So Inyan Moichin Midas. That's the way Moichin inspires Midas. In other words, it's the awareness that creates emotion, sensation. Remember, we're back to Moichin Shabbat Midas. Shabbat Midas, Shagavoya Mikolam, Shagavoya Mina Moichin Shalkolam. And in that, Shoal was greater than everyone else, even greater than their moichen. His moichen shebemidis, his bechein, was deeper than the moichen of the whole nation. Again, to understand this line, it's all part of the previous maimah. If you weren't here at the previous shiurim, it's important to review, because that's what he's referring to. There is moichen and moichen shebemidis. Moichen shebemidis is the way I define the relevance of ideas, the way it inspires me. The I remains the basis. That is what Shichmai represents. It's the way the Moichen come down into my heart, literally. It's the bridge between the brain and the torso and the heart and the rest of the body. That's what Moichen Shabbamidus are. The way the Moichen affect me, inspire me, challenge me, stimulate me, excite me, make me enthusiastic. And in that, he was Gavoya Mikola, greater than everybody, even their, their Moichen. His Moichen Shabbamidus was greater than their Moichen beyond Midus. But because of that, there was also the flaw. And that is when he transgressed the divine will, his malchus could not continue. It was severed. He was severed from the source and he could not be a melech. And David, David also made mistakes. Mashenk and malchus David, who mitzat atzmus eidin sof, shazawinyin rama karni. Malchus David... He saw himself as a conduit for the essence of Eid Saif. We're going to explain in a moment. That's why it says Rama Karni. Chana says, my horn is exalted. The Rama Zawinyan Keser. Rama, which means exalted, represents Keser, which is on top of the head. It's the crown, which is above Moich. The Pasik says in Tehillim, we say it Friday night. You are exalted forever. So the Kabbalah says, Marim is Keser, so Rama is Keser, which generally this refers to the essence of Ein Saif, beyond David beyond, beyond the experience of Shaul. David had a quality that Shaul didn't have. What was the quality of David? He says in Tehillim, 
nafshi kegomul aleimai. I'm going to, uh, in a parenthesis, I'm going to do a little suggestion now, and that is, people are davening now more, which is a very important thing. I spoke about davening a few days ago. It's good to say Tehillim, but I think you should say Tehillim with an English translation. Because most Tehillims that people have experience with is, okay, somehow somebody is sick, let's say Tehillim. And they don't understand why Tehillim was so sacred by the Jewish people. But if you read the Tehillim in English or Yiddish or, or a modern Hebrew, something that you'll understand, you'll see a whole new side of Tehillim. And you will find yourself in David HaMelech, just as your great-great-grandmother in Poland found herself in David HaMelech's Tehillim. So you should say a few kapitlech Tehillim, but do it in English. I don't, I, don't, I don't mean to say the words in English. You can do that too. But I mean to read the translation. Uh, a lot of publishing houses, Art Scroll or others, they have it with English or some have Yiddish or, or modern Hebrew. David HaMelech has an expression in Tehillim. You can testify if my whole life is not about silence. I am like an infant nursing in the bosom of his mother. Earlier in the meditation, we were asked to imagine ourselves as three-week-old babies. David HaMelech said, that's who I am my whole life. My whole life, I am that silent baby who observes life. Now, very strange. He's considered one of the greatest warriors of history. He was a fighter. He was no passive three-week-old baby. He was strong. He was powerful. He defeated Goliath and many other uh, uh, formidable enemies. But the truth is, it wasn't a contradiction because David in his core was silent. He was kind in his core. Because he was so silent in his core, therefore he could be so powerful on the outside. Because in his core, he says, there was a bitl, la'atzmus ein saif. He was a keli for ein saif. Because a keli for ein saif, his leadership was never interrupted. By Shaul, there was an interruption because the moichin were defined by the middas. In other words, Shaul was a great, great, great man. In some ways, Shaul was more spiritual and inspired even than David. That's the paradox. Then Shaul, Shana B'Molchai, the Gemara says that Shaul was as pure as a child in terms of sin. And yet, the pressure of people, he could not resist. People put pressure on him, and he couldn't resist it, because he was shy, he was humble, and he was a good man. And when the people put pressure, he surrendered. What was missing? was missing in him was relative to his level, he was a big tzaddik, but rather what was missing was the bitl ta'atzmos, where the eye becomes a conduit for infinity. And then on one level, you're the most humble person. On another level, you're the most powerful person when you have to be powerful. That paradox is crucial to leadership. And that leadership never gets interrupted because there's no I. And because there's no I, it can't get bottled. Everything that has an I sooner or later, is going to crash. Why? Because it's an, it's an interruption of the pure truth. Only that, which is complete bittel to ain seif, that's where eternity lives. Everything else is a cover-up on eternity. Moichin Shebemidis is divine inspiration, the way it's personalized, from my perspective and my experience, that's bound to change. 
Moichim Be'etzem, especially Keser, that's the bittle to the Ein Sof. V'zau gamken ingen Roma Karni. Ah, now you'll understand why Karni. The Keren Ubebchines Loi Dover, Nit Zach. Now here you have to see what the Rebbe is saying. What's Keren? Keren means a horn. What's the regular translation for Karen in Hebrew? Everybody knows what's Karen? We say it every single morning, every morning. Okay, I'm going to remind you of that part of davening. Ketzat. Ketzat. You know, while we're at it, let me give another suggestion. There's a section in davening called Ezehu Mekayman, right? It's from Masechtas Vachim, yeah? Most people don't know what hit them. Ezehu Mekayman, they think, is like a mantra that you say, you know, like a confession before your death. They don't know, Ezel Mekayman, this, that, that. Take a few minutes, take a few minutes, and learn through the chapter of Ezel Mekayman, okay? You have Sidurim with explanations, or you can take a Mishnaya Zvachim with explanation, read it through, and once you learn it, once, twice, three times, four times, every day you say it, every day you say it, you'll see a very powerful experience. I know a Jew, he lives in California. I, he once shared something, and that is that he remembered the Lubavitcher Rebbe from the 1940s in Paris. And he said he used to see him daven. And he said whenever he came to Ezel Mekayman, he saw tears flowing down his eyes. Now ask people what's so emotional about Ezel Mekayman. I'm not going to tell you the secret. If you learn it, you'll see it's very emotional. Not in a regular way, but in a very deep way. In any case, why am I saying this? In Ezel Mekayman, we say, Allah kevesh, right? What's Karen? Karen is a corner. So he says these words. What's a corner? Can anybody tell me the definition of a corner? What's a corner? Anybody knows what a corner is? The corner of the room, right? Now I want to tell, I want you to ask me, where does the corner begin and where does it end? I have a wall. I have a wall, okay? Take, we were told before to look around. So look around and go to the corner. The wall goes till the end, right? But the other wall also goes till the end. So where's the corner? <laughs> where's the corner? The wall goes to the end, and then the perpendicular wall goes till the end. So where's the corner? The answer is, there's no such a thing. There's no such a thing. There's no such a thing as a corner. Karen who is Lloyd of us in What's a Karen? A Karen is something that's not. Something that's not. The Karen who Karen Zavis Sha'ene Bimitsiyas La'atzma. But there is a corner. Everybody knows there's a corner. I'll meet you at the corner. No, it's not a Mitsiyas La'atzma. What makes the corner? There's a wall coming this way. There's a wall coming this way. From their combination. Something that doesn't really exist is created. And that's called a corner. What does it really mean? What does this mean spiritually? What it means spiritually is a corner exists more than anything else because it doesn't exist. The karen represents, it's like the middle. What's middle? What's the same thing? Middle. Kavem Tsai. What's middle? You come to the middle, this side. You come to the middle. Either it's right or left. What's the middle? There's no such a thing as middle. Just like there's no such a thing as corner. It represents the ayin. It represents the convergence of Metzius with no Metzius. She'enoi Metzius, the Keren or Keren Zavish, she'enoi Metzius la'atzma. The moment the corner says, look at me, it's not a corner. <laughs> what makes a corner a corner? There's a wall here. There's a wall there. From their convergence, 
we call it in our minds the corner to be able to represent the place where the two spaces converge. But it doesn't have its own metzias. The moment it's its own metzias, it's not a karen. What's the power of David? Ramakarni Basha. He's a karen. What's a karen? A karen is nothing, but it's everything. It becomes that point that connects all of the walls. And therefore, we call it a corner. But what is it really? It's a reality that is reflecting the combination of other realities. And that's why his malchus wasn't interrupted, because it was a karen, it wasn't a pach. A pach, a jug, is a metzius. I'm a jug, and this is who I am. A karen is not a metzius. Because David HaMelech had this bitl in loy shivisi v'daymamti, so therefore, shame hagdoyla leya, this is leya, leya, has kuhuna and has malchus, which, la- which lasts. It doesn't lie. This is the tree of life, which represents eternal life. Hashem says, if you eat from it, you live, because it represents the essence of Ein It's called a place that's unchangeable. Most places are from the Eitz What happened through the Eitz Death was brought into the world. What's death? Death means that nothing lasts forever. And even Moshe and Aaron, the greatest of the great, were not exempt from death. The tree of life is that which is unchangeable. We say in Kiddush Lavana, the Gemara says in Rosh Hashanah Davchafei, David Melech Yisrael lives forever. What does this mean? Why do you say Moshe Melech Yisrael Chayvakayim? Aaron Cohen Gadol Chayvakayim? Everyone is Chayvakayim. Every soul is Chayvakayim. There's something about David is Chayvakayim. Why? Because David is the bittel of Malchus, the complete bittel to Atmos. And that can't die. There's an expression that the Rebbe once said in Yiddish. Listen to this expression. The Eintze Kezach was Kenish Batal Venen is bittel. Bittel Kenish Batal Venen. The only thing that can't be nullified is nullification. The only thing that won't get bottle is bittel. Bittel kenish bottle that. Bittel can't be bottle. <laughs> so you could look at it from a cynical point of view. If you got nothing, you got nothing to lose, right? If you're poor, you can't get poor. If you're broke, you can't go broke because you're broke. Yeah. But it's much deeper than that. It means it's the only thing that can't get bottle because it's not a metzius. So David, Malach Yisrael, Chayvakai. And that's the difference of Eitzachayim consciousness and Eitzadas consciousness. Eitzachayim consciousness is the three-week-old baby who runs, who doesn't run around, who sits in his crib, and even if he's naked, nobody notices, like Adam and Chava before the Eitzadas. Why could they walk around without clothes? Because there was no self-consciousness. They weren't projecting their own mind on the world, and then defining themselves and the world based on that. What were they in touch with? They were in touch with the Eitz So there's no death. The moment I eat from the Eitz Hadas, now there's dissonance. The moment there's dissonance, now there are the parts that are real, and there are the parts that are not real. In other words, when we speak about death, we have to remember that that which is real never dies. Any, you know, people speak, you don't take Toilam Haba, your socks, and your real estate. It's really a deep idea. 
whatever is real in your life can't die. Whatever is not real has to die because it was always dead. Meaning, even if it wasn't dead, what I mean it wasn't always dead, I don't mean it was always dead, it wasn't alive. It was always that means it doesn't have that eternal power and that just gets revealed after a while. In the real world of Eitzachayim, there's no death. In the real world, there's no death. Why should there be death? God doesn't die. Why should I die? Why should you die? Why should anybody die? We speak, what's the next stage of medicine? The next stage of medicine is where medicine and spirituality converge into one. In other words, where identity is redefined. That's why Moshe refused to be a messenger of Hashem to redeem the Jewish people from Egypt. It's an amazing insight. It says in Shmois, when Hashem told Moshe, I want to take you and set you, make you my messenger to liberate the Jewish people. What does Moshe say? Who am I? Who am I that I'm going to go to Pari? Now, if you were God, if you were God, what would you tell Moshe? If the Rebbein Shalom comes to you and says, Reb Shalom, Reb Mendel, Reb Nuchem, Reb Avram, Reb Moshe, etc. I have a question. I have a request. I want to send you on a mission to Egypt. And you tell God, you got the wrong address. Who am I? In Yiddish, people love saying, Ver binich, who am I? They got that from Moshe Rabbeinu. Mi anoichi, who am I? Well, God says, I don't know. You think I made a mistake? You think I don't know who you are? <laughs> what, what are you telling God? Who am I? You think God doesn't know who you are? I know who you are, Moshe. I didn't get the wrong address. I know who you are. I didn't get confused by Google Maps. I came here and I'm telling you, I want you. What are you telling me? Who am I? You think I don't know you? What type of answer is this? Mi anoichi. What is this? A CEO trying to hire you for a position you're not good at? The creator of the world is telling you, I want you to do this. What type of question is this? You know what he answers? Listen to this. The answer is, Moshe was saying something very deep. When Hashem told Yaakov to go down to Egypt, what did he tell him in Parshas Miketz? Anoichi eidet imcham Yitzrayim, v'anoichi elche gam ola. I will, I will go down with you to Egypt, and I will bring you up. What's the word that's used? Anoichi. Anoichi, I'm going to do it. Who's anoichi? Anoichi is I, I, the essence of Ein Saif. I am going to do it. Suddenly, Hashem comes to Moshe and says, I want you to liberate the Jewish people. So Moshe says, Me anoichi. I'm not anoichi. I'm a human being. I'm Moshe Rabbeinu. You told them that you're going to go. You're going to go. Now you're telling me to go. Me anoichi. Why? Why did he refuse? Moshe wanted that the Geula should come from anoichi. It should come from anoichi. In other words, it should come from the essence itself, and then there won't be an interruption. If it comes from anoichi, from atzmus ein soif, 
there won't be an interruption. It'll never be interrupted. But the Gula had to be Dafka through Moshe. Because everything has to be with a system of order. There's climbing the steps. Even when it comes to the redemption, which is about breaking out, there's still a Seder. How do you know? The night of Pesach is called a Seder. Why is it called a Seder? Why is it called a Seder? What's a Seder? The answer is because there's an order. Say the Kadesh or Chatz Karpas Yachatz. I hope you've been learning that God. Magid Rachza Maitzi Matza. And today, make sure to color it. The color in the book, the pages. But there's a deeper element. Even Geula needs a Seder. Even liberation, you don't chap malachim. I break free and I run. That's not Geula. You're going to go right back. Gula has to be with a seder. It has to be integrated. And that's why you don't start with Amr Ivriya. You start with Evet Knaini. You climb to Evet Ivri. You climb to Amr Ivriya. And in every place, you have to make peace where you are. If you're frustrated, you're not going to be here. And if you're not here, you're not going to go there. If I'm trying to drive from here to Miami, I have to go through many exits. And if I get frustrated... And I go off the road to go buy a sandwich and sit by picnic table. I'm never going to get to my destination. You have to be able to appreciate the journey. There has to be a seder, even in Gaula. So that's why he says, anoichi doesn't happen right away. The essence of everything is anoichi, but the processing of it takes time. There is Baruch, there's Haidu, there's Baruch Sha'amar, there's Birchus Krishma, there's Krishma. There's nefesh, there's ruach, there's neshama, there's asiyah, there's yitzir, there's bri. And don't get frustrated. Don't get frustrated. Why am I not in that place? There's a place of Evid Knaini where there's no inspiration. There's a place of Evid Ivri where there is inspiration, but the inspiration is the way it relates to me. Moichin Shebemidis, the way the divine relates to me. In other words, the I is the, the nucleus upon which everything revolves. And then there is the deeper state of Gula on the level of Amma Ivriya. Even Moshe and Aaron were also part of the system of life and death. The Kiddush of David was, David Melech Yisrael, Chai V'Kayim, why? David represented, or started to represent, started to bring into the world in, in, in a tangible way. This concept of not the candle which is extinguished, but the sun which light doesn't get extinguished. Questions, 845-777-4747. Number one, what was King David's second wrongdoing? Reb Melech. Uh, his second wrongdoing was, I think, that he counted he counted the Jewish people. One second, let me look it up. I think it's Yuma Davchav Beis. I think it's Yuma Davchav Beis, somewhere there. Yeah, the Gemara says in Yuma, why did the kingship of Shoal not last? Because he had no blemish. He had no blemish. David had the capacity for tshuva. David had the capacity for tshuva. I think the two sins were the story of Basheva and the story of counting the Jewish people. Let me just, uh, I want to take a look it up. Give me one second. David Bishtayim, the Olsaloi. Cholson, we know. 
Yeah, it's Yumad Dav Chav Beis Amud Beis. Let me just read it to you here. Yumad Dav Chav Beis Amud Beis. Shol ba'achas ve'olsaloi David b'shtayim ve'loi olsaloi. Azay zog dehelik ha'gemara. So what's pshat? Shol ba'achas ve'olsaloi and David b'shtayim ve'loi olsaloi. The pshat is azoi. What are the two? So the Gemara says, oh, the Gemara says, Uriah and Hasasa. The incident of Uriah, you know what the incident of Uriah was, right? He arranged for Uriah, the husband of Basheva, to be sent to the forefront of the battlefield where he was slain. And the second one was incitement. When David was incited to take a census of Israel. Those are the two things with David HaMelech. And then the Gemara goes through other stories and discusses why they're not counted. You could see all the details. Okay, next question. Not just what we will learn and recognizing truths in the pre-existing world that surrounds us. Yes, very well. Can you please give an example of how corner is not a metzius in halacha? Okay, I'm going to leave that for the moment because it's, it's, it's a profound idea, but we'll get back to it. Corner is not a metzius in halacha. Interesting. Chassidah's connection to today. Karen sounds like Corona. Corona is nothing too. It's minuscule. It's, it's, it's tiny. It's not invisible, but it's everything. It's a reality that affected everything. It's a spark of Eitz Hadas to remind us of the Eitz HaChayim. It's Klipper comparing itself to Kedusha to remind us what is true reality. Was the Bathsheba episode an actual sin? Or is there an, uh, uh, a deeper explanation? Obviously, there's a lot of deeper explanations with Bathsheba, but still, relative to David HaMelech's level, it was an element of, of error here or some type of a flaw, again, relative to David HaMelech's level. But there's a lot of explanation, a lot of insight. But again, that's, that's a topic in itself, David and Bathsheba. It's not Mamish uh, this year today. Okay, my dear friends, I love you and I bless you with a beautiful, meaningful, and healthy inspiring day. I mentioned yesterday, I'm going to suggest again that for some time during the day you should shut your WhatsApp and phone and uh, go inward. Connect to yourself, connect to your loved ones and connect to God. Another thing I would suggest, as I said yesterday, is take some time during the day and reach out to one, two, three, four, five people who may be lonely, who may... uh, who may uh, need encouragement and who doesn't need encouragement, somebody of a family, somebody of a community, even a stranger, somebody maybe that you met five, ten years ago and you haven't reached out to them. Reach out to them, the elderly, the more vulnerable. Some people are all alone without family. Reach out to some people, make a telephone call, send an email, send a message. I think that would be very, very appropriate because in times of crisis, it's important not to go only inward but also to be there for others. Uh, and it actually helps us very, very deeply as well. Have a beautiful day. And we're going to continue now with the Gemara class in one minute. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.